will be from John 18, verses 1 through 3. John 18, verses 1 through 3. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side there was a garden, and he, he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Jesus came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Thank you, Christian. Good morning, church. It's great to see each and every one of you today, especially if you're visiting. We'd like to ask that you will stay around for a few moments after our services so that we might get to know you, and thank you for coming our way. I hope that you've had the opportunity this week uh, to pause, uh, to be thankful. Uh, to be thankful for the things that are most important. Sometimes we get so busy in our lives that we take those things for granted. And so I hope that you've had the opportunity uh, to do that this week. I hope that you're also praying about uh, our eldership, uh, for our eldership, and also for future elders, and thinking about those nominations that you might be uh, placing in the box. And to remember again, today is the last day. Uh, you remember we have changed our Wednesday night services to 7 p.m., and one of the reasons we've done that, uh, probably one of the major reasons, is so that we can also begin to enjoy those Wednesday night meals again together. And the first one will be this Wednesday night. Um, so we'll be eating about 6 p.m. Uh, prior to our service. But uh, the middle adult class is preparing that meal. And so... Uh, because some have not been in that class, we want to make you aware that uh, there's an opportunity to help. So if you are in that class and we're not able to be in class today, well, your help is needed. Uh, if you're not in that class and you would like to help with this meal, your help is needed. So if you can help with this meal Wednesday night, please see Miss Carol Ellison uh, or also Miss Diane Wilkins, and that would be greatly appreciated. Also, if you're going to be here and enjoy that meal, we want to encourage you to sign up on the list uh, in both of the foyers and uh, so that they'll have a, a, a good idea of those that will be coming for that event. Uh, donations will be welcome to help pay for the food, uh, but uh, we want you to know if you're going to be here uh, this Wednesday night. Don't you just love a good fight? I mean, you got two guys, they're just going at it and they're, they're battling. Don't you just love a good fight? Don't you just love it when you have the opportunity to watch uh, your team battle it out with someone else? And, and for guys especially, don't that just pump you up and you get ready and you think about uh, that fight? Do you remember when wrestling was good? Oh, I remember those days before all the soap opera came in. I remember growing up on Saturday night, we'd set up late watching wrestling. Man, that was awesome. Watching two guys just go at it. Man, you look forward to that showdown. You look forward to that fight. Do you remember also uh, when they would uh, announce at a boxing match, uh, you have come to the main event. And Michael Buffer made those words famous. Let's get ready to rumble. And you remember when you were anticipating that wrestling match or you were anticipating that, that boxing match, man, you heard those words and you were pumped up. You were ready for a good fight, right? Well, today in our text, we're going to notice a showdown. A showdown that... When we think about a fight or a ball game, the outcome of the winner and the responses are somewhat surprising. It's not what we would typically think of. Uh, 
in a showdown or a fight or a wrestling match. Jesus and His disciples, they had left the upper room. Jesus had prayed for Himself. He had prayed for uh, the disciples that were with Him. He had prayed for future disciples. And they leave the city and they go down into the Kidron Valley and they cross over what's called the Kidron Brook. And they head up to the Garden of Gethsemane which is located close to the Mount of Olives. I don't know how much you can tell on this slide here, but you can see kind of in the center, uh, the main part of the city, and they would go out there, and you see on the right here where it says Mount of Olives, just to the left of there is Gethsemane. Between Gethsemane and the city wall of Jerusalem would be the Kidron Valley and the Kidron Brook. Now what's interesting about this brook is uh, Kidron, the, the name means gloomy or dirty. And it got that name because of the, the dirty waters that would have been there because of the sacrifices, the blood sacrifices from the temple. It's also historically significant because King David crossed this valley when he was rejected by his people and betrayed by his son Absalom. Jesus has been rejected by his people and in the immediate process going on right now in this time he has been betrayed by one of His disciples. And so as we look at the things taking place here in John chapter 18, I want us to notice about three factors that stand out that are important for us to notice in this story, in this event. The first part that we notice, and Christian read part of that uh, to us, uh, comes from about verse 2 to about verse 9. And we see that betrayal happen. That's an important factor, an important part of this story. And we'll notice there that when Jesus and His disciples, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. That was a place that John says that Judas, the betrayer, he would know. He would know where that place was. Now, several things stand out in my mind as I think about that is I think about that, number one, Jesus often went to this place, likely to rest, to meditate, and to pray. At least that's what Luke indicates to us in chapter 22. Secondly, another thing that stands out in my mind is John says that Jesus often met there with His disciples. Now isn't that interesting? Jesus came to this place and He often met there with His disciples. Now this raises some questions in my mind. It causes me to ask, and I want to share that with you. How often do I seek to be with Jesus? How often do I spend time resting and meditating and praying with Jesus? You see, this was something that the disciples did often with Jesus. Jesus. Maybe it's something that we need to consider and ask ourselves, are we doing that? Now, Judas, he might have spent three years with Jesus, but it's likely that he really didn't know Jesus. Someone has said, even though he was uh, included with the disciple band, that he really wasn't 
a disciple. Judas goes out and he brings an army of officers that the Bible says comes to Jesus, to his, where his disciples are, to this place at night, and they're carrying torches, they're carrying uh, weapons. It's as if Judas goes and gets this mob and he's expecting a conflict. He's expecting a deception. Therefore, that's why Judas decided, I'm going to have a sign and the one I kiss, that's who Jesus is. Judas is expecting this showdown, this conflict. Maybe in his mind he hears, let's get ready to rumble. And that's the kind of crowd that he brings to meet Jesus. The one that he had spent three years with. Now imagine the things that Judas is missing out on and will miss out on because of this betrayal. A lack of spending more time with Jesus. The Bible says when they get there, they're surprised because Jesus has a different response. Look at verse 4. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? Now, you want to talk about a showdown. You have a group of people. Uh, I, I read somewhere that likely a band would have been about 600 soldiers that would have been made available for Judas. Now, likely he didn't take that many. But it gives you the idea, this is a large group of people with torches and pitchforks, and if they had those, and weapons and swords and all kinds of things like that. And Jesus... What's going to happen? He goes out and he meets them and asks, Who are whom are you seeking? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And then they said, I'm he. And Judas, who betrayed him, was also with them. And now he said to them again, I am he. And when they said that, John says they drew back and they fell to the ground. They are coming thinking maybe they're fighting Goliath. I don't know. They're, they're coming ready for a battle. And the Bible says Jesus comes to them boldly and says, Who are you looking for? Jesus and Nazareth. That's me. And the response caused these men to be overwhelmed and they fell to the ground. And Jesus asked them again, Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said, I have told you that I am He. Therefore, if you seek Me, let these others go. Now He goes on, He says, This is to fulfill what He prayed about in chapter 17, that none of them would be lost, at least not at that time. And so, we, in, during this betrayal, you have this, this showdown. And Judas comes to Jesus and he betrays him with a kiss. Now what's interesting about a kiss? You see, a kiss in that day and time identified devotion and affection. 
In fact, disciples, that's how they would greet their rabbi. With a kiss of devotion and obedience. Saying, we associate with you as our rabbi. And Judas, the betrayer, that's what he chose as the sign to betray Jesus. A sign of affection and devotion. Perhaps, perhaps when people pretend to know and love the Lord today, pretend, they are acting like Judas. It's pretty sobering, isn't it? It's a challenge for all of us to make sure we are not like Judas. To make sure we are not pretending to be Christians. I remember years ago, I I was listening to a preacher and he talked about playing church. And he talked about how when they were kids, they grew up playing church. And he challenged the congregation to not be there today playing church. Church. You see, perhaps when we play church, we're being like Judas. And Judas betrayed Jesus. Who was the winner in this showdown? And when we really look, we see Jesus. You mean the one who submitted to the crowd that came to arrest him? Yes. But look next in the text and we see a rebellion. Notice what happened here in verses 10 and 11. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my Father has given me? When this crowd approached, Peter seeing this, remember what Peter had told Jesus? Jesus had once said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Peter said, listen, no, Lord, I'm not going to deny you. I will go to the death with you. And here this crowd comes, and Peter has a sword, and Peter pulls that thing out, and he starts cutting and he cuts off Malchus's ear. In fact, someone called what Peter did to Malchus, they called it a loyal fit of zeal. Now, it's likely that Peter wasn't intending to just cut off an ear. It's likely that Peter had the intention of doing some some damage. Possibly even mortally wounding. Have you ever known people take the Word of God just seeking to mortally wound someone? You see, we too need to be careful how we use our sword. 
Because see what Peter did, that's not what Jesus intended. Now we might look at that and we say, oh man, Malchus, that guy, he deserved it. He was with the mob coming to get Jesus and maybe he did. But if he did, that's not how Jesus meant to share that with him, did he? And notice what Jesus did. He, he He says to Peter, put the sword back in the sheath. I want to share with you what some commentators said about this particular incident. One person said he found he fought the wrong enemy. He used the wrong weapon. He had the wrong motive and he accomplished the wrong result. Now I want you to notice on the screen here uh, what someone else said. Can we get to that screen? Next screen, next screen. Notice on the next screen here. Judas' crime was deliberate throughout. Peter's blunder in drawing the sword was prompted by loyal, though mistaken, impulsiveness. The chilly indifference of unbelief and the erratic action of a belief which had not yet reached stability were alike destructive. That's some powerful lessons for us to learn, isn't it? Let us always use the sword of the Spirit in love. Now, notice I said let us use it. Because the point is here not to use it, okay? The point is, is to use it, but use it in love. Seeking to save those who are lost and not in a loyal fit of zeal. Seeking to damage or simply prove wrong those who might think or believe differently than us. What did Jesus do? Can you imagine? He bends down and He picks up that ear. And while He's speaking to Peter, He puts that ear back on and He tells Peter, Put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my Father has given me? And He heals that servant's ear. Matthew records where Jesus said, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you not think that I cannot now pray to my Father and He will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? How then could the Scripture be fulfilled that it must happen thus? Jesus knew why He was there. He knew His purpose. He knew who was in control. Peter, maybe like Moses, took action... But that action seemed to be improper at the time. Jesus, you see, He willingly surrendered. And when He did that, He did that in love. He did that out of a love for the Father. He says, shall I not drink the cup that my Father has given me? He he did that out of love for the disciples because He wanted to spare them for the arrest and the trial. Or them to be arrested and put on trial. And he did that out of a love for his enemies. And we see that when he took the ear of Malchus and he healed him. What a message that would have been to those in that crowd. A showdown? Who's the winner? The one picking up the ear 
and putting it back on. Jesus surrendered out of love. He knew His purpose. Then I want you to notice in verses 15 and following, an important factor in this story is the denial of Peter. And Simon Peter followed Jesus and said, and so did another disciple. Most believe that's John, the writer. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I'm not. Now the servant... The servants and officers who had made a fire of coal stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. And so Peter denies Jesus. Isn't it interesting that the very one who stood up, he protested to Jesus, I'm going to go to the death with you. The very one who pulled out the sword was ready to fight with the sword, even go to the death. Now... In this betrayal, in a sense, kind of throws all that away. All that is undone. At a time when Peter should have been running, he was following the crowd and walking right into temptation. What a lesson for us to learn. Someone has said, As you watch Peter, you see him gradually moving into the place of temptation and sin. And his actions parallel the description in Psalm 1 and verse 1. First Peter walked in the counsel of the ungodly when he followed Jesus and the crowd into the high priest's courtyard. There Peter stood with the enemy by the fire. And before long, he sat with the enemy in the courtyard. While Peter was out in the courtyard, Jesus has been taken before the former high priest, Annas, who is the father-in-law of the present high priest, Caiaphas. This dialogue takes place. This high priest asks Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. And Jesus responded by saying, You know, listen, why, why are you asking me? I mean, everything I've taught, I've taught out in the open. I've taught in the synagogues and I've taught in the temple. And he said, and that's where the Jews are. I haven't taught anything secretly. So why don't you ask all of them? And you know it's likely that even Annas had the same, had the same opportunity here, just like the other Jews. And then the Bible says, one of the officers wears back and slaps Jesus in the face and says, do you talk to the high priest like that? Shows the dislike that they had for Jesus. But Jesus in His meek, remember meekness is power under control, in His meek way, He says, listen, if I've spoken evil, then bear witness of that evil. But if I've not spoken evil, then why do you strike me? You see, Jesus always spoke the truth. And so when we talk about using the sword of the Spirit, we're talking about using it in a proper way. Peter did not use his sword in a proper way. Jesus always spoke the truth in a proper way. No answer was given, and they led him off to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, back in the courtyard... 
Verse 25. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore they said to him, You are not also one of the disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter had cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter then denied again. And then immediately the rooster crowed. A second and third time, Peter denies Jesus. And when this relative of Malchus comes, can't you imagine, can't you relate to the fear that Peter must have had? This is the guy, man, I wounded his cousin or whatever. Can't you relate to that? I mean, he must have been fearful that not only they're going to arrest him and put him on trial and also kill him. Can't that easily happen to you and I? Man, one day we can just be on fire for the Lord. And before long, we deny Jesus by the way we act and the way we live and the way we react to the things that happen. So the challenge in lessons like this is how can we put ourselves in their shoes. What is it that we can learn from Peter's mistakes? First of all, I think we can learn, don't think we can overcome the enemy by ourselves. Peter thought he was strong enough. But he wasn't. You see, the reality is we need to remember who the enemy was. Peter thought the enemy was this group of people coming at him to take his Lord. And the real enemy is Satan. Though Satan does use people. We will need help from the Lord. Maybe something we can learn from both Peter and Judas is perhaps in a sense we deny or betray the Lord when we say we're Christians and tell people we're Christians, but then we go out and we act differently. Another lesson we can learn from Peter especially is don't use the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, in a careless damaging way. But be meek when we share that Word. Be open in teaching with love. Share the Word of God in hopes to lead people to salvation in Christ. Another thing that we can learn from Peter is if we make a big mistake, or any mistake for that matter, the Lord will forgive us if we repent. And will continue to use us in the kingdom work. Maybe you like Peter, or maybe you like Paul, have been involved in some huge sins. And if you're still involved in those today, we want we want to challenge you and encourage you to repent and turn back to the Lord. Don't feel like you've gone too far that God can't forgive you. Don't feel like you've gone too far that God can't forgive you and that God can't still use you. He continued to use Paul. He continued to use Peter. Sadly, 
Judas didn't turn back like they did. Don't be like Judas. Be like Peter. Be like Paul. You remember later, Peter had been brought back into a right relationship with God. And the Lord was able to use Peter in a mighty way. In Acts chapter 2 and following. We should challenge ourselves and ask ourselves the question as we look at this lesson. Could I be accused of having been with Jesus? You know what I believe Peter would say to us today? It's a privilege and not something to be feared. So what a showdown. Who's the winner? Jesus here. Not Judas and not the mob. And later Peter would be as well. I came across a story that illustrates some of this in a powerful way. There's a man conducting a religious discussion with some teenagers. And he told these teenagers, he said, listen, you can ask me anything you want to ask me and I'll try to answer it the best I can. And so they proceeded to ask him questions and he said he he received the typical questions like he always did. And so he gave an answer. And he went through this session and there, towards the end of the session, there was a girl that sat back in the back who had not said a word. And she raised her hand and she asked this question. The Bible says that God loves everybody. Then it says that God sends people to hell. How can a loving God do that? And he said, I gave an answer. And she gave an answer back. And I answered her back. And she answered my answer back. And back and forth. And he said, before long, our discussion had turned into an argument. And so he just ended the session. And after that session, he realized what had happened. And he approached that young lady and he said, I owe you an apology. I really should not have allowed our discussion to become so argumentative. Then he asked, may I share something with you? And she said, yes. And so he proceeded to share with her the simple message of the gospel. And he said when he got to the Scripture, Romans 3.23, and he suggested that all of us were sinners, he said the girl began to cry. Because he said at that moment, it was when this high school senior admitted she had been having an affair with a married man. The one thing she needed was forgiveness, he said. He said, when I finished the presentation of the gospel, she gave her life to Jesus and she obeyed the gospel and she became a Christian. And he said this, the reason she did not believe in hell was because she was going there. In her heart, she knew she had sinned. Her conscience condemned her. But rather than face the fact of her gift, she simply denied any future judgment of future hell. You see, the Bible never denies truth. The Bible speaks of both heaven and hell as realities. And those are truth. And the Bible says that Jesus came to seek and to save 
that which was lost. You see, Jesus wants people to know that there's a hell. And it's not the place you want to be. Jesus wanted people to know that there's a heaven. And He's going to be there. The Bible tells us that God wishes that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God loves us that much. God wants us, in reality, to be on the winning team. Many people are in denial today. They're denying their sin. And see, that's why we need to be careful of how we use the truth of the Word of God. Because we want to show them the love of Jesus Christ. We want to show them the message of the Gospel. We want them to see there is a better life. And all the world is condemning them. You think about the people in rehab. One of the things we've been praised for from the group at Teen Challenge is because we treat them with respect. Because everybody else is condemning them. And Jesus says, I love you. And I want to give you a better life. And what do they see in His instruments? You see, let us not be in denial, but let us be instruments of Christ to share the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, in a way to convince, not simply to prove wrong and us right, but to say, here's a better life. Jesus came and He gave His life for you. And I don't care where you've been. I don't care what kind of sin you've been in. Jesus loves you enough that He gave His life for you. Which team will you be on today? Maybe you're here today and you need to give your life to Jesus. We want to stand ready, willing to help you in that process. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Are you, really, are you ready to give your life to Him and to submit to Him, to be buried with Him in baptism, to rise in newness of life? Will you do that today? Maybe you're just here today. And maybe there's some things that you have on your heart. I appreciate Adam and the things that he shared with us last Sunday. And maybe you're here today and you need to share some things. Or maybe you just need to say, you know what? I need to head in a different path. I've been contemplating this week. I've had the opportunity to be with family and friends to, to really be thankful for the things that I have. And you know what? I want to head in a new life. I want to turn over a new leaf. I want to be a better Christian. You can do that today. You can do that individually, but maybe you need the prayers of the church. We stand willing and ready to help you in whatever way that you might need this morning. As together we stand and sing.